Well, the first thing I read, is it on? Are we on? Yeah. The first thing I really wanted to ask was um, Joe. Has it got to be just women? I can put a skirt on if necessary. I'm, I'm into oils. I'm into all that kind of stuff. No, no good. I'll have to get a report back then. <laughs> 20 quid, you're on. <laughs> okay. Okay, well, um, it's good to see so many new faces here. Um, last week, as part of our Portrait of Christ series, Pastor John here preached really on the death and resurrection uh, of Lord Jesus. It's quite unusual because he wasn't even here. So, yeah, it was um, quite a novel experience for us. Um, I mean, the gospel message is really pretty simple isn't it it's just five words Jesus died and rose again um, and you know 2,000 years ago on that particular Friday evening of the Jewish Passover celebration which later became known as the Lord's Supper and which today's church often remembers as Monday Thursday Pastor John importantly last week reminded us that the word Monday was Latin, or is Latin, I presume, for mandate or commandment. So it became Thursday, the Thursday commandment. Because in the light of what became uh, his death the following morning, followed by the resurrection and uh, the new nature which Jesus by his spirit would later place within all who would believe on him, that was the night after washing the feet of di his disciples when he said this. Uh, if we can get that up. There we are. No. No. Oh, no. Wait a minute. We're nearly there. We're nearly there. There's the one, there's the one. So this, on that particular night before the Lord's Supper, he said a new commandment, a new mandate, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. He's saying in light of the cross and the new person that you become, above all else, remember this commandment which I've given you tonight. Encourage others in it. Do any of you wear, uh, still wear one of these? One, oh, there's a, one or two putting their hands up. Um, it was um, oh, quite some time ago. I remember, oh, that, were they dazzle reminders? These craft wrist bracelets which our Lorraine Payne produced? For me, I actually chose one which was, which was blue-coloured wool. And it became a reminder, a permanent reminder. I remembered reading in the Old Testament, part of the law of that time, was that God said to the Jews on their prayer shawls, they had to put a blue thread within the, the white threads. And it was so that they, when they saw it, they would look, they would remember, and they would do. Look remember do and it's great it reminds us to pray it reminds us Jesus because 
today as we look into our Bibles and the fact that the resurrection of Jesus was the pretty well the launch of new creation itself. I want you to be encouraged beyond, way beyond any present or future sorrows that any of you may have to go through. Because I want you to remember today the step-by-step -step walk into the bigger picture of the future life which our Bible reveals is God's amazing plan for us who believe. And that's because, <coughs> excuse me, this morning Pastor John asked that I talk to you about Christ's promised return to this earth and the future new creation and eternal order. And I think you're going to finish by preaching that next week, John. In other words, that which was described by the Apostle John from a revelation which was given to him, later it was published in the last book of our Bible, and which is actually called the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And, <clears throat> excuse me, we know that the future so-called messianic age is the, the very high point of Old Testament prophecy. Whilst the new creation and the eternal order described by this same Apostle John in Revelation is the high point of New Testament prophecy. And right at the beginning of John's book of Revelation, he greets us. It's in chapter 1 and verse 4. And there we have it. He said, Grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come. So, in today's portrait of Christ's message, I'll be using that same threefold chronological order from the one who is, who was, and who is to come. And so the title for this morning's message is From Here to Eternity. We have it there, where heaven and earth come together. I first thought about it when I'd seen the film and that steamy... Uh, what shall I say, that steamy thing on the beach that was going on there. Yeah, Bert Lancaster and Deborah Carr thing. You see, as believers, we need to know that God has a plan. And he's got a purpose for each one of us here on this earth. Through the gifts he's given to each of us, so that we might each fulfill part of this grand, seamless and purposeful story of his. So it seems sense for the future, other than simply to be thinking, well, okay, I'm going to heaven with Jesus for an eternity after. No, perhaps we need to be encouraged by learning a little bit more of the future detail of God's bigger picture. This beautiful story of his for us as part of his eternal master plan. Because in knowing who we were, and who we will be will surely help journeying now into who we are created to be now, today. So for each one of us who consider ourselves born again in, unto eternal life and therefore, therefore walking, or those perhaps even considering that walk today with Jesus, let's look briefly into a, a trilogy now of biblical truths relevant to the life of each of us, both now and in that future walk into the new creation. Because under this heading of from here to eternity, 
where heaven and earth will come together, we're going to be looking at three things. The first is uh, life after death. Go back a bit, just for a second. Yeah, life, thanks. life after death. Then after that, second, we'll be looking at life after life after death. And finally, life in the new creation and eternal order. Today, quite simply, really, is about God's gift of life in all its forms to us, in its purest form. Okay, let's take a look first at what kind of hope, what kind of expectation we believers might be looking forward to within the first of those three titles. So we can go on to that, Trevor, the next one. Life after death. I remember, I don't know when it was, could be months, could be years ago, a TV advert for Philadelphia cheese. And um, it tasted so good, we were transported onto these plumptious, fluffy clouds up, up there in heaven with the, with the angels. Still enjoying, of course, and eating the cheese. And, you know, I thought this week, I it just flashed, I had a flashback to that, and I thought, with that kind of possible general, general impression out there of what an eternity of life after death is going to look like, is it any wonder people are a bit suspect? I mean, you'd think at least you could take a book or something up there, if, you know, or perhaps a Kindle to re relieve the boredom. Actually, the New Testament hasn't got that much to say about the condition or location of people immediately after they die, but there's enough. Uh, and the early Christian writers, they were much more interested uh, in the period of life, not just after death, but after. Uh, in other words, they were interested in the ultimate physical resurrection after a period of what they called bodily dead. And that, thinking about Jesus, it's a bit like Jesus' life after death, whilst he was still bodily dead in the tomb after his crucifixion. During this time prior to what we know as the Easter day, if you like, physical resurrection itself. So in effect, we could possibly think of his resurrection as a kind of a two-stage sequence. And it was this final stage which concerned the disciples and the early Christian writers the most. Fortunately, uh, we have a little connect group of a few of us um, and we've recently been looking into the gospel of mark so i'd like us to look at a couple of instances in mark about this initial life after death sequence because we read there what jesus said first in chapter 12 as he spoke to a group of sadducees a lot of a lot of you will remember it and they believe the sadducees believe that there's no life after death or even a bodily resurrection under the law of that time under uh, Moses taught that if a, a married man died before having children one of that same man's uh, brothers should then marry in effect his former sister-in-law in order to raise children on behalf of their dead brother and so the Sadducees being a bit naughty said to Jesus well what if there were seven brothers and in turn, they each died after, I don't know what 
uh, this must, woman must have been some kind of woman, you know. <laughs> and each of them died after marrying this, this same woman, whose wife, whose wife then could she possibly be at the time of the physical resurrection of the dead? And Jesus tells them two things. Yes, he says, there will be a bodily resurrection of the, bed, of the dead, but they won't be marrying after that resurrection because in that sense they'll be like the angels in, in heaven. But in, interestingly, he then goes to tell them, it's in verses 26 and 27, there it is. This is what he says. He says, but concerning the dead that they rise, haven't you read in the book of Moses, in the burning bush passage, how God spoke to him saying, I am, not I was, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He carries on, he's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You're therefore greatly mistaken. So here, Jesus is illustrating by even referring way back to the Old Testament book of Exodus in this, the validity of a two-stage process of physically dead yet totally alive saints who will one day rise with us and everyone else to a renewed physical body also. In the meantime, our connect group had already again in the Gospel of Mark, this time in chapter 9, we'd read of Jesus in his mortal body right up there in the north of Israel uh, on Mount Hermon, transfigured, and who in the sight of Peter, James and John, the three disciples, he appeared with Elijah, who we've been told was previously taken up live in a whirlwind to heaven, and, and also with Moses, who had physically died. Yet the thing is that each of these soul-spirit bodies were recognizable as who they had been when they had a physical body on earth by the both watching and listening, very alive disciples, there was discourse going on between them, even though they weren't then and are not still physically resurrected. The same thing happened, uh, some of you might remember a story about King Saul and a witch. He asked that she bring uh, Samuel up from the nether regions, uh, coming up from the earth from where the Hebrews called Sheol without a physical body, yet as exactly the same person which Saul had previously recognized when he was in the flesh. And then finally in the story about Lazarus, this one is Lazarus the beggar, uh, with the rich man and Abraham, all who had died and were without physical bodies, and yet all were instantly recognizable in their immediate soul-spirit bodies. So, surely, the conclusion has to be that the immaterial part of man looks like the material part of man. And so for believers, uh, Paul in his second letter to the Corinthians, it's verse 5, uh, here we have it, um, sorry, chapter 5 and verse 11 tells us we're confident, he even says we're well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be we'll be present with the Lord. He's saying, what's not to like? No pain, recognizable bodies, and with Jesus. I like the description of this first stage before bodily resurrection, which comes from a guy called Tom Wright, um, 
who tells us that we might think of um, the heaven we'll tempor temporarily be in as travellers. If you like, staying in a wayside inn where Jesus will be totally with us. And as we well know, where Jesus led the way by his bodily resurrection, so his people will follow. I believe the problem is that there are so many Christians today, even realizing the physical resurrection of Jesus to a new body, like ours will be, beyond the reach of further physical death, assume that the ultimate name of the game is to leave this present world and go to eternal heaven. And yet even given the word resurrection as always referred to new bodily life, it's seen by many as denoting its opposite. In other words, that of a disembodied immortality. So unlike Jesus and the early followers, some often don't believe that resurrection meant a two-stage kind of post-mortem reality of the overthrow of death where we are totally alive and in God's presence as we await the day of bodily resurrection. When we look, I was looking this week at the fall of man and the origin of death itself in the Genesis account. And you know, lastly, I've been wondering if immortality wasn't an actual original gift from God to Adam, but a further gift waiting to be given to him through the tree of life after his testing, which was then forfeited by his disobedience. Because the new life of the fuller life is now given by Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. And I'm realizing it's not God's gift given to his people. It's God's gift through his people to the world. Church, that's why we are here. And again, Paul, his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1 and verse 58, that's the one, says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the works of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So, so in effect, it's not sit back and relax because we've now got a wonderful future. It's get on with the work which will last into God's future because the resurrection means our work will not go to waste. The New Testament tells us that God wants us to be renewed human beings, helping him to renew his creation. And that it was his physical resurrection that was the, if you like, the opening bell ringing that out. And that it will be with our physical resurrection in this life after life after death where he will fulfill that plan. So, having said that, let's take a look now at the same at the same sequence number two in the trilogy, life after life after death. And I've said, as I've said, we're here looking at what our Bible says about the events which lead up to our future physical re resurrection after death. And you know, that won't be happening up there. Because guess what? This is the time Jesus will be coming down here and we'll be coming with him. Because it's never suggested we escape the earth to go to heaven. But that Jesus' good news has always been about heaven coming to earth.
First, we read in the book of, of Acts how Jesus will return. It says, in the same way that he ascended into heaven, so he's going to return. Get the next one, Trevor. There we have it. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. And it says... Now, when he'd spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And so, what's the prerequisite then for Jesus' return? That's the next one on. Uh, Matthew, we read in Matthew 23, verses 37 to, nine, uh, to 39, and Jesus said, it was morning, he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you weren't willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. That happened in 70 AD. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The messianic greeting. So, according to that scripture, Jesus won't return to this earth until the Jews and the Jewish leaders ask him to come. Now there's something for prayer. Just as those same leaders once led the nation to reject Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, so someday they'll need to lead the nation to accept him as Messiah. This in general, I believe, explains Satan's war against the Jews throughout history and will do again, particularly during what uh, Christ calls the tribulation, because he knows once Christ returns, his freedom ends. And so, if Satan can succeed in destroying the Jews once and for all, before they come to national repentance, then Jesus won't come back, and his career is safe which would seem to confirm anti-Semitism all along as being part of this satanic strategy to avoid the second coming of Jesus. He will come back. Satan's a created being. Fortunately, God used his prophet Zechariah. It's in chapter 12 and verse 10. And he says this, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look unto me whom they pierced. This is Jesus speaking. Yes, they'll mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. And so we see the return of our Lord. Jesus tells us in Matthew 24 this time, Verses 29 to 31, under the heading, The Coming of the Son of Man, when it will happen, and, excitingly, who he'll be coming back with. And uh, this is, the next one is what he says. 
He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon won't give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he'll send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect. That's us, physically resurrected. From the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And that's why today's message is called From Here to Eternity, where heaven and earth come together. What's the Lord's Prayer say? Your, worth, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's grand plan is to unite the whole of heaven and earth. It's all about the putting right of creation and justice as it was in the beginning. And that's why the whole purpose of the tribulation we've just read about is both to cause a great world, worldwide revival and then with Jesus' return to make an end of wickedness and wicked ones as he brings the whole of this universe back under God's direct eternal rule and reign. Now, there are many Bible students also indicate that here's the place where the, this same eternal... Um, Reign of God actually begins with what's called the millennium or messianic kingdom, a thousand-year rule of Messiah. Revelation ch chapter 20 mentions it before, taking, before talking about our Lord's continuing position of authority into the new creation in eternal order. And that's why at the beginning of today's message I referred to the future so-called messianic age as being the high point of Old Testament prophecy, whereas the new creation and eternal order is the high point of New Testament prophecy, and which we finally come to now in the book of Revelation. And we're going straight to chapter 21, because although most of the information of the first 20 chapters in the, of the book of Revelation can be found in the Old Testament, chapter 21 onwards is brand new material, not revealed to the Old Testament prophets. So at the end of today's message, now we come to the third and final sequence of events in our trilogy, Life in the new creation, there we have it, and eternal order. And the first two verses of chapter 21 are key, because what Jesus showed, uh, showed him must also have, it must have, I'm trying to imagine John when he saw this, it must almost have blown his mind. And he says, um, I looked again, and could hardly believe my eyes. Everything above me was new. Everything below me was new. Everything around me was new because the heaven and earth that had been passed away. The sea was gone completely. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride on her wedding day, adorned for her husband and for his eyes only. Whoa, there we have it. Heaven and earth remarried. And it carries on. Verse 3, and I heard a great voice coming from the throne. See, the home of God is with his people. He will live among them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them. 
The prophecies are fulfilled. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning no more. Crying no more. Pain no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who sat on the throne announced to his creation, See, I am making all things new. And then John says, turning to me, he said, Right. What you hear and see. For these words are faithful and true. It's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will see to it that the thirsty drink freely from the fountain of the water of life. To the victors will go this inheritance. I will be their God and they will be my children. The future creation of the eternal order is assured. Because the one who makes the promise is both faithful and true. We partake of the fountain of the waters of life. Heaven and earth remarried. Man glorified body, soul, spirit. We become the bride of Christ. And that final life in the new creation in eternal order will be the new beginning after God's final setting right of the world. Paul describes it like this. It's in 1 Corinthians 15, 28. He said, But when all things have been brought under his control, then the Son himself will also be under the control of the one who gave him control over everything, so that God may be all in all the king of the universe himself in his one seamless and purposeful story from beginning to end has unveiled his eternal master plan to sum up and unite the whole of heaven on and earth last scripture isaiah chapter 46 verse 10 i make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. And that's why God, in his wisdom and prior encouragement, gave us the biblical blueprint of his master plan. Be encouraged. Continue your part in it, into our ongoing, beautiful future life, which Jesus has planned for you and is planned for me. Amen. Thank you. Let's just come. What we, we do at the end of our talks is we, we, we initiate response. So we don't just hear God's word, but we, we respond to it. So let's just close our eyes. This series has been called The Portrait of Christ, A New Way to Be.